Well, it's another podcast. Just call picking it out. Yeah, it's another podcast. It's called picking it out. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. And we're gonna be picking it out. Well, hey, y'all. Well, appreciate y'all tuning in to Picking It Out once again. And my name is Andrew Pope. And real excited this week uh man i've been a, i've been a fan of this guy for a long time uh i think we kind of look at we've never met uh we have a lot of mutual friends i think we kind of look at things similarly um i've been a fan of his work and i'm i'm a fan of of what i know about him as well as a person so uh real quick let me mention this we just got featured in this North Alabama magazine. The podcast just got featured. So that's really cool. Thanks to uh, FTC for doing that. There's a whole write-up about the podcast and some guests we've had on. and So it's really cool. I think you can go online and check that out if you're not a customer of theirs. So thanks to FTC for that. And we got Mr. Glenn Jacobs with us here. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me on, Andrew. Or any, any any segment that starts with welcome to the podcast, y'all. I know I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have said Mayor Jacobs. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. It's all right. It's Glenn. <laughs> I thought I told him a while ago, I said, man, I kind of feel underdressed, but I'm just kind of a musician, so I guess I can get away with stuff like that. <laughs> man, the one thing I think about uh, when I think about you is any live wrestling event I ever went to in the mid, or the early to mid-2000s, you're damn pyro. <laughs> I mean, that was the by far the four things that come out of, from the behind the ring post, that was by far the loudest freaking explosion. And you could feel it on your face. I mean, you must have had like your neck hair singed off from that over the years. That's yeah, insane. It actually wasn't that bad. Like when I was in the ring and I was concentrating on what I was doing, it never bothered me. Mm-hmm. Now, if I didn't know it was about to happen or when someone else's pyro went off, that would always get me. But it, yeah, it was hot. I remember one time that they wanted to change my pyro and they had like this idea of a wall of flames. They wanted me to come out and shoot off the initial explosion and the flame projectors. And then they wanted to have like a wall of basically natural gas or propane or whatever it was behind me 
uh, for like 30 seconds. So we rehearsed it. And I'm there about five seconds. And I'm like, this ain't going to happen. All right. This is, <laughs> I, I am burning up. You know, this is like a barbecue pit. Mm. Um, so it, it, it got hot. We, we never did that entrance because I, I wasn't tough enough to actually go through with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I've always wondered about that because, you know, I've seen, you see several wrestlers uh, kind of jump uh, at certain times when their pyro goes off, even when they know it's coming. Yeah. And I thought, man, the announcer sitting there at the ring, like Jim Ross and, and Lawler, I thought, man, they, I had to just scare the crap out of him every time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I think you'd get everybody if you weren't ready for it. Yeah. It was a, it was just a different time back then. You don't really have, you know, pyro like that anymore. Uh, the latest thing I've been to was an AEW thing before COVID, all the COVID crap hit. Uh, sure. Dustin Runnels invited us out there, me and my wife. And we went and checked out a show. She had never even been to a wrestling show. Yeah. So it was a really experience for her. But he introduced me to Arn Anderson, and uh, it, it was pretty cool. Um, great talent they've got over there. I'm a fan of what AEW is doing. Yeah, I think that um, having more competition in the space is, uh, is very good. Uh, of course, Dustin is a dear friend of mine. Um, known Arn for years. Uh, he's... Uh, we go way back as well. I have all the respect in the world for him. Did your wife enjoy the show? Oh, yeah. She loved it, man. She loved it. And she didn't even know any of the characters or anything. She still loved it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the thing is that no matter who you are uh, at an event that's done well, uh, especially at the WWE event, I think, um, you know, it's just the entire experience, the atmosphere, the show. So even if you aren't necessarily a fan of professional wrestling, uh, if we're doing it right, the entertainment value is something that everybody enjoys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you buy into what you're, what you're seeing. And, and, you know, for anybody that's never seen it live, it's really amazing. Uh, just the sound. I remember the first time I went to a little house show, a little WCW house show, my uncle took me. He had one tickets off the radio, free tickets. Um, and we went, and I remember the sound of bodies hitting that ring. Yeah. And it just sounded so much harder than it does on TV, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you're there in person, it's a different experience altogether. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, the physicality and um, everything that goes along with that are much more intense than if you're just watching on TV. Yeah. And you got started kind of in professionally in 92, right? Yeah. Around that time. Uh, I think I started training in 1991. Uh, then uh, worked a little while with some extremely low level uh, organizations. And then finally I made my way down to Puerto Rico. That would have been actually, that was about 94. So I've been around a little while by then, uh, but went to Puerto Rico, stayed there for almost a year then ended up in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That's how I got to East Tennessee. And uh, then that was 1995. And uh, then went to WWE uh, in the fall of that year. Now, had you, when you went to Smoky Mountain, had you met Jim Cornette? Man, I never had. Uh, I had heard about him, of course. And uh, Jimmy's legendary character in the business, he's a genius. He is. Um, 
but he he he's a mad scientist type genius too. I mean, he you know he's uh, when it comes to professional wrestling, uh, he knows what makes people tick. He knows everything to do. Uh, but I mean, that's what he's focused on as well. And um, I've got some great stories about Jim. He has an explosive temper that has never really mellowed, I think, through the years. Um, and, you know, the first time you see it, it's just, it's just like, what in, what in the world is going on? Um, but he, uh, Jim Ross, uh, who was the commentator at Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, when I was there, and Dutch Mantel, uh, who was the booker in Puerto Rico, those are probably the three people that were most instrumental in getting me to WWE and um, giving me the tools I needed to be successful when I got there. Eventually, that that took a little while too. Now, how long when you were at Smoky Mountain did it take you to see that temper the first time? <laughs> Uh, about a month. Um, <laughs> I would have said two yeah, weeks, but <laughs> it wasn't too long. Uh, when I was when I first came in, uh, I was working with Eddie Gilbert. We were a tag team. Uh, I'd met Eddie in Puerto Rico. Uh, for those folks who don't know, Eddie was uh, a big star in WCW and NWA. And uh, Dutch had brought him into into Puerto Rico. I met him there. Eddie helped out with the booking and everything. And um, Dutch got. Uh, he got me a job with, uh, with Cornette and, um, Eddie also knew Cornette. So he decided that uh, he would, would you know, come along. Um, and without, that was really great. Cause I needed someone who could help me through that stuff. And I trusted Eddie. Well, we did one set of TV taping. So a uh, gym would do like one, I guess it'd be four weeks of TV. So we did one set, four weeks of TV. And then the next week, Eddie calls and he was going back to Puerto Rico. Uh, he had gotten the booking job in Puerto Rico. That's it left. So Eddie's going back to Puerto Rico, which kind of left me in a bit of a bind because we had four weeks of me and Eddie Gilbert as a tag team and there was no Eddie Gilbert. Um, so at the next TV taping, um, Jim had brought in, Jimmy Fournette had brought in Al Snow. Uh, to be my tag team partner. Now, Al's a great talent, man, and, and Al's a very dear friend of mine. Um, but at the time, you know, Al uh, had done a lot of um, non-televised stuff, you know, okay? So uh, we call him Outlaw, but there wasn't really. I mean, he, he worked for some high-level organizations, um, but wasn't necessarily, um, at this point, used to doing matches for TV and TV presentation. And the first night, Al had also driven from, it was like in Hickory, North Carolina. He'd driven from Lima, Ohio, which is like a 10-hour drive, okay? So Al shows up. uh, He's supposed to have a match with George South. George South is uh, also George's legendary man, been in NWA for years, you know. um, George is never like a big star, but always been around uh, and very competent. Um, So, George and Al are supposed to go out and have a match, and Al's going to do all this stuff and show off and, you know, uh, impress the crowd with his athleticism. Well, instead of doing that, they go out and they do the handshake deal where Al's the bad guy, and he's trying to get George to shake his hand. Well, they do this for like five minutes out of a seven-minute match. That's not great TV. 
Okay. So they get back and Cornette, we're all watching on a monitor and Cornette says, guys, that wasn't what I was looking for. Um, I need some action. I'll do all your stuff, do all your flipping and flying and all that stuff. So George, go back out and say, hey, you know, Al Snow, you can't beat me twice in one night. Uh, I'll go out and then put together like a three-minute match, and I just want it to be all high spots. It's just action, all this stuff going on, right? So they go back out and do the deal, and they do like one move, and then that's the end of the match, okay? So Cornette is sitting there, and it, you can see him start to like tremble. It was like, it was like a volcano <laughs> is about to erupt, <laughs> And I knew something was up. I'd never seen this before. Everybody else starts starts leaving the room, but they're kind of ducking down like they're they're going through a combat zone. Okay. <laughs> and or, you know how when people come out of a helicopter and under fire and that's that's what everybody was doing. I was like, what is going on? All of a sudden Cornette just goes ballistic and just starts screaming and yelling and throwing I'm still like in the corner of the room. Now I'm kind of trapped, you know. And I'm going, What in the world is going on? And his face is red and it looks like he's about to explode. Then George and I walk in the room and Jim just looks at him and just like bam, a switch flips and he's just like, guys, that wasn't really what I wanted, but I'll make it work. And I was like, how do you go from being like apoplectic mad one second to the next second? Just like, ah, it's okay. But that, that was Jimmy, man. <laughs> yeah. I think his, his, uh, tales are legendary about losing his temper and then drive throughs and backstage as yeah. well. Uh, he, he eventually, he would kind of be a, a champion for you also, wouldn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when I first came to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Jim was splitting his time. He was running Smoky Mountain, but he was also in WWE with the Heavenly Bodies, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey. Uh, and he was also working with WWE on their writing team. So he was really burning the candle at both ends. Um, then when I went to WWE, um, he basically moved up there full time. But yeah, he was a huge advocate of mine. Um, and, you know, especially that first year or so uh, really helped me out. He was the person I would talk to. And I think a lot of the, um, you know, the creative ideas, uh, he was very involved in putting all that stuff together. And when you debuted, you were, your ring name was Angus King. Is that right? That was at my, I think, I think I wrestled like under that name for like a year because I thought King was a cool name and I liked ACDC and thought Angus Young was cool. Angus so I Young, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and didn't have any, didn't have a cooler name than that. You were. Uh, it's funny now because you know Angus King uh, was a, is actually a senator from Maine, and I think a former governor from Maine. But we're no relation. Wow, how about that? That's kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, you you were also the Christmas creature. Yeah, um, that's a that's an interesting story. Um, uh, Kevin Lawler, uh, who is Jerry Lawler's son, uh, was doing a lot of stuff with Jerry USWA as far as like the creative stuff. And uh, just like Jerry's a great artist, you know, he's, he's a great yeah. comic book uh, graphic artist. And Kevin's really good, too. So Kevin has this idea. And I was just starting out, man. You know, I just wanted to break doing something. He has this idea uh, for at, at, at the holiday season for a villainous character and Lawler was also always into like the like the movie monster wrestlers right so mm -hmm. you know you'd have you know different like masked 
characters and all this stuff in Memphis all the time. So anyway, Kevin had this idea for the Christmas creature, who is an evil Christmas-themed uh, monster, basically. Um, and it, it, the best way to describe it, it looked like the swamp thing with flashing lights, okay? Because it, <laughs> it was this green suit with garland, and um, my mom made it, okay? So my really? mom did this whole thing, but it was a technological marvel because she integrated Christmas lights into it, okay? So it had a battery pack, and everybody talks about Chris Jericho and, you know, his 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 uh, jacket with the lights on it, right? I was mm-hmm. way ahead of the time. And actually, my mom actually made me wow. a suit that had integrated lights in it. But that thing only lasted, uh, you know, it was two or three weeks. Um, but it did allow me, you know, to get down there to work a little bit with Lawler and, you know, to kind of get my foot in, in the Memphis territory. Yeah. What did you think about working with Jerry? Man, Jerry's uh, another person uh, that I owe a lot to. Uh, he was very influential in my early career um, and just helped me out a lot. And, you know, of course, um, even to this day, you know, uh, he is the king of Memphis. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Sure. Uh, when when we were at our height in WWE and, you know, you have The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker, but when we were in Memphis, it was still Jerry Lawler that always got the best response from the crowd, which is yeah. amazing when you had these other, like, huge superstars and Lawler was still the man of Memphis. Yeah. You know, wrestling fans are just, there's, there's like a respect level that just never goes away. Um, and they're, they're so loyal to, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, there really is. And I've, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to see that throughout my career, uh, especially as I, I got to the latter stages of my career. And, um, you know, it, it was like, I always felt like people appreciated me a lot more at the end when I wasn't that good as opposed to when I was really good starting out. Um, <laughs> but it is just that, you know, I think that being there night after night all the time, um, and building, I, I guess, building equity uh, with the fan base is the best way to put it. Right. And uh, you you actually wrestled Sting uh, at some point on WCW Saturday yeah. night, like yeah. one time. Yeah, I did. I did one show with WCW. That's the only thing I ever did uh, with them, uh, and it was just a match against Sting. Um, and um, he was actually a great guy. He treated me really well. Uh, you know, which he didn't have to do. He could have just picked it up, uh, and he didn't. Um, and so, I, you know, I've, I've always thought a lot of him uh, for that reason. Of course, he came to WWE much later and got to know him better, and uh, he's a real stand-up dude. But, um, you know, a lot of times when you're in that situation where I was, someone coming in, you know, you're just a job guy. No one knows you. Um, and you're working with a guy like Sting. That's it. You know, he could have just – he could have just – done whatever he wanted and beat me up and had the match over in a minute. And he actually went out there and we had a, a pretty decent match from my standards. Anyway, I, I always really appreciated that. about it. Uh, was this like an audition or a tryout for WCW or how'd that come about? No, no it, I was just starting out just trying to get any sort of work that I could. Um, and it never, you know, it never went anywhere. That was, that was literally the only contact I ever had with WCW. Wow. Who, who, how did that 
come about? Did they invite you? Um, it was there was I don't know if you remember Rip Rogers. Um, I've heard that name. Rip was like he was booking what we call extras, um, and just I, I knew him. He said, "Hey, you want to go down and do a couple shows for uh, WCW?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, man." So that was basically it. That's pretty cool. And is that the only time you ever worked with Sting? Uh, no, when, when he came to WWE, um, we didn't have any matches, uh, but we, you know, we did some stuff. We're in the ring at the same time. Yeah. So that, but that's the only singles match you've ever had with him. Yes. That's pretty cool. A lot of people probably don't, don't realize that. So you go back and. And, and and then it's funny too, of course, because, um, when he came, you know, that was when he was like staying with the, the howl and the. Yeah, um, face paint, colorful. You know, yeah, back in what nineteen ninety three or something like that. Yeah, um, and then I was whatever I was, um, <laughs> you know. And then everybody, you know, everybody remembers Kane, of course, with the mask and you know all the stuff. Uh, when he, by the time he got to WWE, um, he was staying with the like the. Um, the black and white face paint, completely different than what it was back then. I wasn't even, I was corporate Kane. I wasn't even Kane Kane anymore. Right. Um, it, it was a lot different. The, uh, uh, the various, uh, I guess, incarnations that we had gone through um, by the time we finally did anything again. Well, who was your, like, did you watch wrestling as a kid? And who was your guy? Yeah, I grew up in northeast Missouri, about an hour and a half north of St. Louis. Uh, we did not have cable TV, grew up on a farm. So if the wind was blowing correctly on a Saturday night, I would watch All-Star Wrestling out of Kansas City. It was a promotion owned by Bob Geigel. Uh The main guy was Bulldog Bob Brown. He was a bad guy. Then you had uh, Ray Candy, who was one of the top good guys. Uh, Bruiser Bob Sweet Hand. Um, Sometimes Harley Race would come through. Harley Race would actually buy the territory many years later. Mm. Um, it would, you know, pe- people that no one knew unless you were, you know, watched that particular territory. Uh, but once a month, we'd go down to my grandmother's house and visit her. And on Saturday mornings, you had wrestling at the Chase in St. Louis, which is the which was the biggest show in the country. I mean, it was you know, St. Louis at the time was the mecca professional wrestling so when i when i was down there i'd get to see everybody man yeah i get to see um like fritz von eric and harley race and I, I just forget all the all the huge stars um one, one thing that's really cool that just happened to me recently um when i was six years old actually um you remember baron von raschke yeah okay so baron von raschke scared me so badly that I had to turn off the TV because, you know, here he is and he's, he's bald headed and he looks a little like Freddy Krueger and he just does the thing with the German accent. And he's like, the claw, the claw will get them all. What was really cool was uh, my last birthday in April, a friend of mine ran into the Baron um, who, who is still, who is still uh, alive and with us. And he cut a promo about me doing the same thing. And posted on Twitter. Yeah, that was about the coolest thing ever. Man. Oh, that's cool. I gotta go check that yeah. out. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. Oh man, what a what a time to be alive! You know, so many. I had Gerald Briscoe on, and I had Dallas Page on. Yeah. And, uh, even Eric, you know, talked about going to matches 
uh, when he was young, him and his brother. And it, just what a time to be. I feel like there was something in, 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 you know, your generation of wrestlers and entertainers that just resonated with those guys. I mean, those were, you know, Harley Race. I mean, talk about a tough son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I was convinced. Um, you know, when I was a young man, man, I was convinced that Harley Race and Arn Anderson, they, they were the two toughest people on this planet, right? Like, if you walked into a bar and you saw either one of them in there, you just turn around and walk back out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, too, uh, especially when WWE would, you know, really take off, um, you know, it's like the, I think professional wrestlers are the closest thing there are to real life superheroes for especially for kids um you know and it's literally it's literally like watching the avengers in a ring you know watching an actual um superhero showdown come to life or something like that sure um i don't know if it's necessarily so much like that anymore but like i remember when i was a kid man you know i never met andre the giant okay and I just remember hearing these stories and I had a friend that went to a match and Andre was there, you know, he was like when Andre run across the ring and, and hit the ropes, the entire ring would move, yeah. you know, it's just stuff like that, you know, and these, these characters, which were literally larger than life, um, but they were come to life, you know? Um, and I think that's a lot of the allure of the whole thing, especially back in the day um, was, yeah, you just had these, these, these characters, that were just, just like I said, they were like superheroes or something that were real life. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, I remember, of course, when I was a kid, it was Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and you know, it was kind of the cartoon era. But but it was, it was almost like comic book characters and superheroes yeah. and villains. And you know, I, I like the villains, a lot of the villains, just as much. And then I feel like in the nineties it got a lot darker with the with the Sting, the Crow deal that they did with Sting, which was genius. Yeah. Uh, and Mark, you know, Undertaker and and your character. I mean, it, it was it was dark characters, but it was also it was, a, it was a cool factor to it. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even, even Austin was an anti-hero. Oh yeah. He was not. I mean, he he was a good guy. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, his character wasn't a good guy, True. you know, but yeah. he was the dude that, that, uh, he was the dude that the rest of America wanted to be that tells your boss, boss to shove it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I think that in a lot of ways, yeah, that uh, wrestling uh, is a reflection of, of society, you know, it has to be, yeah. you know, and I think about, um, when I was younger and, and Hogan and, uh, at this point, I was a grown man, so it may not be cool to say this, but still, I remember one time I'm watching uh, watching WWE, and this is when um, Sergeant Slaughter and it had joined with General Anod, and it's uh, you know during the Iraqi War, and uh, you know Hogan is Hogan's fighting it off by himself, and you know they they get him they get him down there beating him up, and Hogan's starting to do the the Hulkamania thing and the Hulk up thing. And, um, grill monsoons, like, you know, they can't let him up because if Hogan gets back to his feet, right. about that time Hogan gets to his feet, you know, and just starts cleaning house. And I got 
goosebumps watching it, even though it was ridiculous, you know. Um, but it's just stuff like that, right? There was this, you know, uh, so cool. And and then, of course, with like Sergeant Slaughter, who's another friend of mine, you know, to think here you have Sergeant Slaughter, who is like the ultimate American hero, and he turns and he joins with the bad guys, and, yeah. you know, up against Hogan. It's just good stuff. You know? Yeah, it really is. Uh, you You must have been so excited and just feel like it was such a huge blessing when you actually came to WWF then, but WWE, uh, you remember like what you felt when you actually got that opportunity? (laughs) Uh, When I first came in, I was scared to death (laughs) because I'd just been watching these people on TV Mm -hmm. and I was a huge fan myself. Uh, and I didn't think I belonged there. Um, that's why my first couple characters failed because I just, I didn't have what it took to make them be successful. Uh, but then when the Kane character came along, when that was presented to me, you know, I knew that I knew that, that I knew what I had to do. Um, I felt like I did belong. And I was like, man, this is the greatest opportunity that anyone could ever get. I'm going to be going up against the undertaker. Um, this whole story, I'm, the Kane is like the equal of The Undertaker, which no one had ever been. Uh, and you have this tremendous backstory. I think it's the, uh, the best piece of uh, kind of mythological storytelling WWE's ever done. Um, so I was really excited about the Kane character. Um, on the one hand, because I figured it was a can't-miss character, but also I knew that if it did miss... I wouldn't be in WWE anymore if that happened. So I had to make that one work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's uh was that a Vance thing? The Kane character idea? Was that a Bruce Pritchard or it, it was a combination of uh of people and a lot of stuff is. Um and initially they, they wanted to uh, just hot shot the whole thing. What had happened was uh, Undertaker needed a an opponent for a pay-per-view. And that's when they came up with this idea. They're like, well, you know, Glenn's not doing anything. Um, we can put him under a mask and he can have a match with the Undertaker. It'll be fine. And, you know, so then they kind of came up with the story of, of, of why. And then that Vince liked it so much. He's like, we don't need, we're not going to waste this on one match, you know, mm-hmm. um, when we can get like, much more. It turned out they got 30 years out of it as opposed to one match. Um, but still, you know, we can get so much more out of it. Um, and that's when they really started, you know, just delving into, I think, all the, uh, you know, just all the stuff. Uh, and, you know, the character development and the real story behind the Kane character and a lot, too, behind the Undertaker character. Yeah. I was going to say that, that, that had, like you said, that had never been done. You know, uh, and and I feel like the audience really responded strong at a at an early stage in that because it you know it was lucky enough probably to be involved with Undertaker and he was yeah. just everybody. I mean, who didn't love the Undertaker when that when that bell went off and the lights went down? I mean, people went berserk. You know, uh, yeah, I was uh, yeah, I, I was a super. Super fortunate, I was blessed uh, to be put in that position. Uh, and that gave the character, the Kane character, instant credibility. I mean, you go out and drop The Undertaker. Yeah, you know, it's like you knock 
basically knocking out Mike Tyson with one punch. Right. You know? um, so it, it, that, that was a huge, huge deal. You still stay in touch with Mark? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, we've we've done some stuff with WWE. We just had the, uh, um, the A&E uh, Lost Treasures thing and Saw the that. documentaries. Yeah. Um, so we've actually got to work together a little bit, even after, uh, you know, we're both not necessarily active in WWE in the ring anymore, right. but I, I talk to him, I talk to him every once in a while. Mostly it's something funny happens and, you know, I gotta make, you know, I gotta make a joke about something. So I'll shoot him a text. Yeah. So, right. But he, I, I think he's, uh, I think he's really enjoying life. You know, uh, he, he's in a good place. So he deserves it. Both y'all do. You deserve it too. Um, you know, one thing I always wondered too, this is kind of jumping around, um, when you did the diesel spoof, had you been friendly with Kevin Nash at all before that? Did you know him and did you kind of give him a heads up? Hey, this, this is what's going to happen. This is what they want me to do. No, I knew Kevin. I mean, I didn't know him that well. Um, you know, he'd been around, uh, we've been in, WWE together before he left for WCW. Right. Um, but yeah, I didn't, well, actually I couldn't because, uh, you know, uh, it was a surprise. Yeah. So, That's what <laughs> so I we couldn't. But yeah, but, um, and we, I don't, I don't think we've ever really even talked about it. It's one of those things that, you know, it was, and the thing was, it, it wasn't making fun of, of him or anything like that, you know? Um, yeah. So, and, and I hope people, don't think that it was, you know, it was legitimate. It was a legitimate storyline on its own. Um, and revolved a lot around Jim Ross. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It wasn't making fun of, of Kevin and Scott by any stretch of imagination. And that was, that was such a time in the wrestling business right then when him and Scott went to WCW, you know, I watched, I watched WCW from 96, probably all the way to, well, religiously watched it as in didn't miss anything from 96 to like 99, maybe yeah. kind of early 2000. Early 2000, I kind of flipped back and forth to see what y'all were doing. And, yeah. you know, y'all y'all were doing a lot smarter things at that time. Um, and yeah, I actually, WCW, of course, was, uh, they, were, um, they were killing us in the Monday Night Wars. And it's funny because people talk about the Monday Night Wars in a such great time. Uh, if you were actually – like in if if you were in WWE, it was not a great time because right. we were fighting for our lives, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was like if we lose, That's... and WWE goes out of business, uh, well, we probably don't have jobs anymore. Right. Um, so for wrestling fans, it was awesome. For us, <laughs> there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was like once, and frankly, their show was better. You know, um, their production level was better. Uh, just everything was better for a while. And then ours got a lot better. And then, of course, you know, Austin, everybody caught fire. And um, I think that the quality of our show quickly surpassed theirs. But they had so much momentum that they kept the ratings and kept the ratings. And then finally, one day there was a tip. And then they it's like they fell off a cliff. Yeah, you know, it was like they just never, never recovered, and I thought their product got uh, dramatically worse uh, once that happened. 
Um, and then it just, that wasn't even, you know, it, it was like our, our show was so good and theirs eventually got so bad that it was almost unwatchable. Yeah, it, it really was. I had Eric on my very first episode, Bischoff. Yeah. Um, I've known him for a few years. I know you know him also. And he, you know, he's talked about the AOL Time Warner thing and the merger and how he kind of yeah. was kind of kicked to the side a, a little bit at a time and then eventually out. Um, yeah. And, you know, Eric gets blamed for a lot of that. He um, does. I, I don't think, you know, the thing is, there's, there's an entertainment side that everybody sees in front of the camera. And then there's a lot of office stuff behind the scenes that people don't see. Sure. And it's same in WWE, you know, and um, like Eric gets blamed for that stuff, but there was things going on behind the scenes that I don't think he had control over right. um, that had a huge impact on what was going on in front of the camera. Um, so, you know, one thing that folks have to remember is it, it's a business. Yep. You know, in the end. And sometimes as fans, we forget that, you know, and we just, oh, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? And there are actually reasons why that happens. And there are reasons why the product isn't maybe where folks want it to be. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just hard. But I always hate that uh, that Eric takes the fall for what happened because um, he, he's another guy. He's a friend of mine. Um, and I don't think it's fair to blame it all on him by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, was you back then, was you watching nitro or anything? Did you pay any attention to what they were doing? Yeah, I was, I was. Um, and then, like I said, you know, um, for a while I thought their show was better than ours. Um, and then it just, you know, it just got to the point to where I, I think, I think one thing they did, you know, they went to that three hour format. Um, yeah. and they've done something which I kind of feel that WWE, um, does too, you know, they just oversaturated the market, you know, yeah. they had like a, a three hour show and then a two hour show and then all this stuff going on. Uh, and it's really hard to create a uh, good compelling content for that amount of programming. And frankly, I think WWE suffers that same problem. sometimes. You, uh, were on Smallville on one episode of yes. Smallville. John Schneider's a good friend of mine. He's recorded some of my songs on his uh, albums. Uh, I wanted you to talk about working with him and your experience on the, on that show. Okay. Yes. Um, so I was on an episode called combat and I played a character. Uh, I think it was Titan and um, the, uh, the Smallville people discovered that there's like an intergalactic cage fighting thing going on. And uh, Superboy, uh, you know, infiltrates it and starts fighting all all the uh, it was fights to the death too i mean it was you know it was a real deal um and so in the end i had uh it, i actually had a great i had a great role man because uh, uh superman didn't take me out i took myself out i had like these 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 horns kind of like a little like wolverine except it was just one horn coming out of my hand uh and it got impaled on my own horn um but uh, one of the funny things that happened was uh, in the big in the big final fight scene uh, between me and Tom Welling, um, and I will say this too: everybody on that on that show was just awesome to work with. I mean, it just you know really really a lot of fun. I was only there three days, but it, it was great. Um, so we're choreographing the final scene, and we got everything set up, and you shoot the master 
uh, the master uh, scene, which is like, you know, uh, the, the far away, all the angles at once so that they can do all the cutouts and all the close-ups and all the stuff. So we're going around, uh, and, and it, I mean, it was like it was about three or four minutes that we're, you know, nonstop action. And uh, Tom throws a punch. And now in wrestling, almost everybody's right-handed, right? So in wrestling, you sell a punch. It's coming to the right, so you react to a punch coming to the right. Well, that's my instinct. Well, I forgot, and this is completely my fault, but I forgot. He was throwing the left. So he goes to throw the punch. I go to stick my head out, punch me right in the face. Oh, man. <laughs> so we finished we finish the scene. And um, he comes up to me, he's like, man, are you okay? You know, he's like, that one cuts pretty good. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, don't worry about it. And, of course, as soon as everybody turns around, I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I had a black eye, he punched me right, punched me right in the cheek, almost knocked me out, man. Um, man. So, but I can say that I took Superman's best punch, and I'm still here. There you go. <laughs> It really was. It was. It was a great time, man. And everybody was. Everybody was wonderful. They were just. It was a great crew. That's cool, man. And, and now you're mayor. I mean, who would have ever thunk it? Yeah, I know. That's um, so cool. You know, and it, it's it's amazing to me. But I, I feel like I feel like I've disappointed my mom because you know I was I was I'm in the WWE Hall of Fame. I've done businesses. I've done all this stuff. And now people know me as a politician. I'm like, I'm so sorry, mom, that your son became that, but it's okay. It's cool. <laughs> well, you're a great American and I appreciate everything you stand for, Glenn. Really do. Well, man, I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you so much, my friend. It's good talking to you, man. All right, you too, brother. Good luck with everything on your end too, bud. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. Have a good one, bud. See you. And we'll see you next time on Picking It Out.